Hey, this is Nick Wheeler from the All-American Rejects, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Tell me a little bit about how the All-American Rejects formed, because I thought I, I read that it started in high school around 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, tell me Back a little in bit the about late 1900s. Yeah. Right, yeah. As they say today, oh, it's, it's so hurtful. Yeah. I was born in 91 and I'm still there. Like, if I see one of you mention that to me, I will. Yeah, oh, too, baby. Oh, oh. I, I feel like I should have had a 91 shirt on. No, <laughs> but tell me a little bit more about like how it started and how the name came about, because Mike's response was like, oh, yeah, we thought it was really cool. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, give me a better answer than that. <laughs> it's funny actually t- i haven't told the where the name came from story for a very long time but somebody a friend asked me the other day and i was like you know what i haven't told that story in a long time i'll tell the real version and i'll tell you the same uh but yeah we started in uh in high school i'd been playing in bands you know ever since seventh grade and kind of the first one that stuck was what became the all-american rejects i was playing drums at the time tyson was our singer now was just playing bass and we were the only ones who showed up to practice. Everybody else was too busy, I don't know, playing high school, whatever. So it was just the rhythm section, a very sad band practice, bass and drums only. So it's like, hey, man, like I play guitar too. And he's like, like he sings a little bit. So we just started writing these songs and I had some recording equipment and, you know, a little Tascam four track tape recorder. So we just started recording our songs and those became the demo tapes, which got sent out you know, to various record companies unsolicited. And we just got lucky as far as that goes. But the name came about, yeah, I think 1999. This was before I had a home computer with the internet on it. So we would get in my 1987 Toyota Tercel hatchback, drive around Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is a very small town. You can get you can drive around the whole town in like 10 minutes. And each time we would pass the record store, we would go inside and they had like this kiosk where you could type in like a band or a record and see if they had it in stock. So we would just type in band names and if anything came up, it meant that it was taken and, you know, being used. So the first thing we came up with, there was a song we had at the time, there was a lyric like all American something with like kind of a negative connotation to it, like self-deprecating. And somebody, I think Tyson said, let's, let's try rejects. And we typed it into the little kiosk computer and, Huzzah, it was not taken. So that that was it. It's kind of like getting a tattoo. You know, it, we came up with it a long time ago and we yeah. said, yes, that's what we want. And then here we are 25 years later and it's, you know, it's, it's part of us, but we're kind of stuck with it at the same time. I think it's interesting because yeah. <laughs> like your, your, your story on that is kind of like, I understand where you're coming from, but like today's world, and I'm sure there are bands out there that do it, but it's like, now they can just go on to like random generator. And then it's just like, uh, let's put in totally. some words that we like and let's see. And then it's like crash test dummies or something They're like that's actually taken. It's like, all right, let's, let's try it again. And it's like crash test morons. That's I us. love the crash That's test us. dummies. Oh man. Spe- speaking of Canada and crash test dummies, we worked with a guy named Greg Wells once. Who's a, like talk about talented Canadians, like musical genius. Like this guy can run circles around anybody on any instrument. He said he used to work with the crash test dummies back in Canada. And he always said that 
their family would call and be like, Hey, how's the taping going? <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's the most Canadian shit I've ever heard. Maybe. How's yeah. the taping going? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, there's so many Canadian references that you hear in the States. Like now either make like mocking us or just more or less like, Oh, it's like, we're not really mocking you. We just think it's really polite. And I'm like, that's fair. But I think it's like, I feel like Jim Carrey is the embodiment of Canada in the sense of like when you see his stand up or you see how he presents himself, it's almost like it's not even like him anymore. It's almost like it's not even Jim just being Jim. It's almost like, guys, I'm I got to represent Canada here as well. And I feel like with Mike Myers, it's the same thing. Maybe all Canadians like Martin Short and a whole bunch. It's like when they do interviews, it's like, oh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm like, you didn't even cut him off. He was done. The right. question. They, they like, can't just be themselves. They have to like <laughs> represent like an yeah. entire group of people. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's gotta be daunting, man. Yeah. I feel like a Newfoundlander. I just have to be, I have to be very friendly and just very polite, but also have a few customizations of like my dialogue or how I say things. And I'm golden. The moment that right. I ever don't, or I'm not friendly. There's going to be like a, you'll hear someone in the background, like knock on the door. I'm like, Oh, sh- fuck it's like i wasn't friendly it's like that strike one tobin i'd be like yeah i'm like how many strikes do i got left it's like well you're in newfoundland we don't really consider you a part of canada you might have 50 and i'd be like okay i'm, I'm good i'm still got a lifetime left <laughs> that's a lot of strikes yeah yeah you like waste your last strike on like your 90th birthday where someone's just like i bought you a cake yeah. i thought it was great and you're like like i i hate I've you been, and it's i've like, been waiting my whole life to be a bitter asshole yeah, yeah, yeah. my chance Cause what are they going to do? You're like 80 or 90 year old. It's like, dude, he's, he's been here. He's done that. Just let him have his moment. And he's almost dead anyway. Let him be. I want to ask you too. Cause when you were talking about now you being also involved in the drums, like don't sell yourself short because I feel like there's a lot of credit in terms of you, I think produced, edited, mastered your first ever like kind of demo and got that sent off. And then it kind of, it went from there, but the most interesting story I like about that is like, you know, it's a go getting world, even in the nineties, but yeah. I like how like today's even more. World, so I feel, well, you have TikTok and Instagram now and a whole bunch of social media where literally like, you know, in the case of a, a Sean Mendez or a Bieber, you upload things and get it in the right views. We're back then. Yeah. I feel like it's harder well, it's certainly harder to get a wide audience back yeah. then, but I, su- I suppose the amount of work is probably similar because I know a lot of artists, I, I work with a lot of new artists from like a songwriting production standpoint, and they're always like struggling trying to figure out how to get traction on things like TikTok and stuff. And sometimes it has to do with their music. Sometimes it has nothing to do with their music, but it sounds like a lot of work. And I would not survive as an artist, as a 40 year old man nowadays, but I put in the work in different ways, I suppose, because yeah, we, we recorded our own music and it didn't stop there. We then had to figure out how to get it onto some sort of format. So you have to burn the CDs, you have to design the artwork, you have to, Go to Kinko's, I guess FedEx office now. It used to be called Kinko's back in the 1900s. And we would print out all the inserts. We would, you know, use their paper slicer and, you know, make all the inserts and stuff all the CDs. And then we would have to make flyers for shows and go staple up flyers for shows. So it's the same kind of promotion. It's just on a much more localized scale, I suppose, it's, e- it's an equal amount of work. Like I remember skipping school and missing work and doing, you know, 
just focusing on promoting a show and what that used yeah. to mean was like go hand out flyers and like staple shit to telephone poles yeah yeah <laughs> I, I mean i think i think that's interesting because i i actually the the reason i brought this point up is because i've interned in terms of like i have a communications degree i wanted to be in journalism when i was younger but when i oh, went cool. to school when i went to school and they were told me like okay well you got accepted for film studies i was like all right, film studies isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I wanted right. to transfer over into journalism, but they were like, what if we put you in the similar courses at journalism students? And then if you get good grades, you can next year, maybe make the jump for journalism. I I'm glad. That's in the cool. They were working with you on it. Yeah. But I'm glad in the catch 22, I didn't do journalism because I got to know these kids through or yeah, know them through the different courses. And mm-hmm. I listen, I'm all for getting an education, but I'm also for like, Hey, I want to have a social life. So I would go after class and be like, Hey, do you want to like, Hey Luke, do you want to hang out or what? And they're like, no man, I got to keep up with the news. I got to do things for news. Like, and I was like, all right. Meanwhile, I'm out playing It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Like I'm out playing hockey with neighbor kids and I'm like feeling like I'm (laughs) Sidney Crosby here with neighbor kids. And then I look back now, like five or six years later and I'm like, I like those memories more than being crammed into a school trying to just get my grades up. And then even if you did sure. get your grades up, it was still like if a kid was involved in newspaper, TV, blah, 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 and got 75 compared to the kid that had no extracurricular activities, but an 80, they kept the kid with a 75. And I was like, I understand that, but that's a lot of mental psyche on me. So I'm like, I'm just going to yeah. go with communications because it was more broad and Right. Doing internships, I was like, all right, now they're going to actually let me invo- be involved at like a newsroom. Mm-hmm. No, it was more like, stay in the back and for six months, just don't talk to us. And I was like, that is fucked up. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but when I read, when I read the research on yours, where it was like literally an intern found your like blue disc, as I guess they call it now, or the demo mm-hmm. and saved it from the trash. I'm like, all right, find that intern and be like, hey, you're not like solely responsible for the all American rejects, but you got to have some credit because I feel like today's totally. world where someone was like, Hey, you were about to throw this thing out in the trash. What do you want me to do with it? Be like, Brian, throw it in the trash. And if you, if you talk to me or look at me one more time, you are, you're done. And I'd be like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately she was also related to, so if she okay. was just an intern, they might not have listened to her, but she yeah. was an intern and she was related to the head of the distribution company over at Doghouse records. But yeah, I mean, it was pure luck, man. It was one of those demo CDs that we made at my house and made the insert at Kinko's and put in an unsolicited envelope. And because I was a fan of the get up kids, I just looked at the back of their CD, copied the address for the label <laughs> and just mailed it. And oh, wow. Okay. Uh, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I mean, at least you were thinking ahead of time. Like I feel like there are people out there now that even with all the social media that they have, they're like, who do I send this to? Where do I go from here? Like I know sometimes when you're trying to touch base with acts or like musicians, you're like, all right. Like the, the communication side of me knows how to do it now. But if I was 20 odd, I'd be like, especially in today's world, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll just tweet at Nick or I'll like send him a message. He'll definitely respond and be like, maybe, 
but he probably gets well, a lot are, of messages. People are more reachable now. And I mean, I guess I, su- I suppose if you know who you're looking for, yeah, you can find them on some sort of platform and message them. I mean, I, I find a lot of bands and artists that I've worked with now just from them reaching out to me on Instagram. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But back in the day, like you never knew who the suit was on the other end of that a like record yeah. label address like i had no idea who you were mailing it to so like, some guy in the ba- just, some guy in a basement where it's like ah what is this <laughs> yeah or just or just some guy in a tower who knows like yeah. i have no idea like there used to be such like a it was like the man behind the curtain kind of vibe and now it's like everything has a face and every face has an instagram account yeah. so <laughs> it's it's true i feel like you know to kind of go off your example there i feel like when I was 20, 20 years old, or maybe it was during the time of MySpace, so maybe a little bit before, I remember liking this uh, UK band called Scouting for Girls. And so I, okay. I, I like MySpace them or whatever. I, there's definitely people I'd like, that's not the correct per- terminology. I'd be like, leave me alone. But <laughs> And they instantly wrote back. And I believe now at this time, that was probably them because it's their MySpace. The same with like 10 Second Epic, a Canadian band up here. And then they responded. So I would take their emails and just put them up on my wall where it's like, Oh my God, they responded. So cool. But I feel like in today's world, some of those times it might be just their social media person. Like they might actually have a hired person that responds. So Mm. like there's a, there's you thinking like, yes, he responded. It's like, actually he didn't, his social media team didn't. You're like, not as, not as cool, but I feel like band accounts and maybe like bigger solo artists have the same kind of thing, but like if you reach out to some dude in a band, it's probably just him. Like yeah. there's there's no there's there's no middleman there. But yeah. like some bands probably do have somebody either at the label or their management company like mediating all of that stuff. You're right. Yeah. I was just reminded of this time, like back in like middle school, my buddy like sent off to the like fan club address in like the Green Day Dookie album or something and said it was his birthday or something, and he got back like a signed green day eight by 10 wow and you don't know if they signed that it was probably some intern that yeah. was like yeah <laughs> happy birthday but i guess it's i guess yeah nothing literally nothing has changed yeah. it's all the same it's just different mediums i feel like it's my yeah. friend told me one time when we were in university in university he was like there's like a 10 year rule where it's like everything that was popular 10 years ago comes back and i kind of get that because when I'm on Instagram now, I remember when I was younger, I would be looking at things from like a yearbook from the 80s or early 90s. And I'd be like, oh, OK, like you either like it or you dislike it or you're like, oh, man, look at the fads. I felt personally attacked the other day when I went on Instagram and someone was like, hey, I found my sister's yearbook from like the 2010s. And they had like a My Chemical Romance song playing in the background. And all the haircuts were like the emo haircuts. And I was like, I yeah. am attacked. That wasn't my yeah. haircut, but that is my crowd. I have a, I have a similar theory. Mine's a, mine's around fifteen years. I feel like the the nostalgia cycle is about fifteen years, and then it comes back around ten years after that. I feel like it's yeah. like fifteen, and then twenty five total, and then forty. Yeah, I think it goes fifteen, ten, fifteen, ten. If that makes sense. Yeah, because there's people. There are people out on like Instagram that do like TikToks, and they're like, "Why does this? Why do these songs that we listen to today?" sound familiar and then i'll go back and be like oh right because i grew up on those songs but then if you listen mm-hmm. to the songs in the 90s and they were demoing things you were there going like oh yeah like kanye's such a genius like i listened to like good life with him and t-pain 
And I like love this beat. And only realized in the last five years that that beat is like Pretty Young Thing by Michael Jackson. And then I was like, oh, I was like, because I, I wasn't born. Yeah, out. like I wasn't born in that time frame. So, of course, yeah. I'm going to think that. But it's like the same way today when kids are out there bopping along to Olivia Rodrigo. And then people are like, that's Paramore. And then it's like from 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's almost like I get that. I understand it. And I don't get mad at kids who are like, she is so great. Can you listen to the song? I'm like, that's actually a little bit of Paramore. They're like, who? I'm like, all right, education time. Let's see if I can right. get you. Uh, let's see if I can get you just as invested in Paramore. And if they are right. great, totally. if not, I'm like, that's fine. That's totally your call. I want to ask you. Well, actually, I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'll ask you a question because I think the story okay. kind of relates because because we're kind of talking about the whole 15 year and going back in time. My first ever mp3 player i got not an ipod it was an mp3 player so like literally the screen yeah like it was like yeah exactly like the little thing would come yeah. across of the song title and you're like literally looking mm -hmm. at it um and of course you were giving your computer diseases by downloading it off like limewire yeah. songs <laughs> <laughs> or or like you you download a song and if it's a new release you wouldn't get the song you would get pretty much like i did not have sexual relations with that woman i'm like what who i don't understand what is this video I, nam i did not download this i swear to god i was only looking for an all-american right. reject song um but <laughs> i remember the first time i got a, an mp3 player at christmas i had like three songs and my mom was like kind of concerned where she's like you don't have any so any more songs on your mp3 i'm like number one i didn't want to tell her that i didn't know how to work it number two i was like i don't want to download any more stuff because my older brothers was like do not you get three songs. I was like, okay. So I think it was like an Eminem, uh, Welcome to Detroit City, All American Rejects. I think it was Dirty Little Secrets, which I, I think right. when I do the hit counter, that was the most played. And I think the third nice. one was like, just like maybe the Wilkinsons. It's like a Canadian band up here, like a country song. So I had, a, okay. I had, I had three different kind of landscapes or genres. It's good variety. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that was like the three that I remember. And I guess it's kind of related to what radio does today, where a radio song is a hit. They constantly play it. So in mm -hmm. my mind, I was like, I don't have to listen to the radio. This is my these are my three go to songs. I can listen to them whenever. And then when I hear it on like the radio That's at night, awesome. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God, I know every word. And then they're like, yes, new song from All American Rejects. And can you believe it's only been out three weeks? And I'm just like okay for people who don't have mp3s that's great but for me i'm just like i'm not i'm done i've heard you're it done. I yeah, you're spent. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never you never need yeah. to hear that one again <laughs> yeah but i just thought it was an interesting story because it just goes to show you like how invested i was in this band where i know mm -hmm. people like awesome. the the swing swing song and i feel like that's debatable for me because i like it but i still think there are better songs than that and i know that's kind of like the peak agreed but Man, Dirty Little Secrets was, to me. That, that was our first one. That was the yeah. one that got that got us. The, it got it got people's attention. Trash. Yeah, it got people's yeah, attention. Yeah. But I like Dirty Little Secrets, and I mean, even to this day, I know that they got down. Give you hell was like your most successful song to date, peaking at number four. I like that. I think it's like the Hot Billboard 100 or whatever. I will always argue with people where it's like, yes, I'm not debating that they don't have better songs. They obviously do, but this is my go-to. If someone was like, "All right, name me an All American Reject song," I'd be like. Three little secrets. Boom. Done. And then there'll be like five, like people like, how did you not think of move along with this? I'm like, listen, still impactful. This is just where my brain goes because I think of me being the MP3 kid running around yep. the block going like, 
this is my jam. This is the happiest I'm ever yeah. going to have in my life. No, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks, uh, man. But I want to ask you, like, do you get that sometimes with people when, like, you know, if they walk up to you or they see you in a concert and they're like, "All right, we we like this song," but they give you like one that you didn't randomly know. Like, you, you probably think, "Okay, these are like my, my top three or four songs of All American Rejects," and then they toss out a random one. You're like, "Really? That's your go-to?" Well, it's it's always a bummer when they're like, "This is like they they say you know their favorite one, and it's one that like we never play." And I'm like, "Well, you're not gonna hear that one tonight." <laughs> I, I bring it up because there was an interview I think with I'm just trying to remember his name from Follow Up Boy. I think it was like maybe it was Pete. I'm not sure exactly, or maybe it was Pat. Boy, yeah. But it was like they were telling him one time of they went to a, they were doing a, a concert in Chicago, and one person walked up to them and was like, "Yeah, it was a great concert." I but I didn't like the fact you didn't play the song and it just kind of kills your whole buzz. But now it was Mark yeah. Hoppus interviewing him. And then he kind of made the joke where it's like, so now you how now you know how I felt when you did it to me when we were playing Blink-182 and you walked up to me saying, hey, I loved your concert, but you didn't play the song. And he just kind of laughed at oh, it. And it was like, funny. he's like, totally. But I love I love that encounter where it was like, you don't even know sometimes your fans actually become artists themselves. And then mm-hmm. one day you cross paths, but I just brought it up because I think it would be interesting if a fan came up to you and be like, yeah, well, like Dirty Little Secrets is overrated. And then like five years later, it's like you're managing them or and then it's like, yeah, I just right, want right. to say I'm sorry that it was totally a cool song at the time. I was just a bummer. I, I would not remember that encounter yeah. <laughs> five years, five years later. Oh, okay. My memory is not what it used to be. I, re- I would remember an encounter from 20 years ago. Yeah. Just because like I was young and I that's those were yeah. when all my wrinkles were being made up in my brain yeah if someone came by to, to you tomorrow on like instagram or twitter and said something and then the next day they show up at your door to like be a part of like a managing team or something you're like all right you you look familiar why do you look familiar oh, okay right <laughs> yeah yep. that, uh, that, that 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 yeah that might ring a bell okay. all right you'd be like i i guess i can help you i don't know how i feel you might be like that bitter canadian where you're like I don't know, man. Bitter but. Canadian. I love that. <laughs> I want to ask you, though, like, obviously you've had like a number of albums that are out, but tell me a little bit about like producing that first album and like the success of Swing Swing, because I feel like now when people today and I believe someone said this in an interview, I think it may be Beyonce, not like recently, but she said, like, we don't come out with albums anymore. People don't listen to a body of music. Mm. It's like release a single you listen to it it's like a drug where it's like you listen to it you're like all right now more 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 it's like do you know how long yeah. that artist spent to just make this one yeah now you're like demanding more but tell me a little bit about like how happy you were with the success and like just getting over well, the hump essentially i mean if you, if you look at our discography and the dates that things were released like the last decade or so like has been a lot more sparse and it's been things like singles and EPs just because that's how people consume music nowadays. The first 10 years of our career was putting out four albums and all of them we strive to make an experience to listen to. And we also, you know, we had four unique experiences creating them. That was back when you would take a year to just write an album and then for us, we would go in the studio. It would depend on who was producing it and what the workflow was like. But like, you know, our second record took six weeks to make. Our third record took nine months. You could spend, you know, the better part of another year making the album. And after you've put 
one to two years into something, you you're, you're kind of spent. So then you go on the road and you don't write at all. All you do is perform and try to sleep when you can. And that's another year or two. I, I get. I guess all that to say, like that first record, making that first record was the beginning of that. We, you know, Tyson and I got in our tour van, which was like a 1993 GMC something or other, like in terrible shape. It had already been on the road. You know, we were weekend warriors playing bars for, you know, a couple of years before that. So this van was trashed, but it <laughs> got us to New York City. And just to kind of set the scene a little bit, we drove to New York City two months after 9-11 to make that first record. So like we didn't, you know, we barely left Oklahoma, Texas area before. And we were driving to New York City after 9-11. We we're like, oh my God, like this is insane. Like yeah. we had no idea what we were in for. It ended up being a great experience. I mean, yes, we slept on the producer's floor. Yes, we ate hot dogs for most of our meals because it was cheap. But, you know, every Sunday we got to go into the city and explore. You know, I'd never, I'd never been near before. It was great. I would go to the Virgin Megastore in Times Square, which I think is like a Forever 21 now. It doesn't even exist. But, you know, <laughs> oh, I would sad. go. I know. <laughs> I would go and thumb through all the CDs. And like, I would every, you know, once a week, I'd buy like a dozen CDs. That's where all my money went. That's why it was, I was eating hot dogs. And I would just ride the subway with my Discman and just listen to music. And I would, you know, I was digging in like deep into like the like older U2 records and stuff like that and like discovering the Smiths and that kind of shit. And then, you know, Monday through Saturday, we would go into the back room of a boxing gym and record an album. Like that's where the studio was. Like yeah. a lot of times we had to wait if there was a fight or something <laughs> that was really loud or if there was like an audience there, like we would have to wait until they were done and then we could record. It was, it was bizarre, but it was an experience. And when I think about that album, I think about that experience, you know, everybody, uh, you know, everybody has an, has their own experience, whether it's discovering it by seeing the video or maybe it's an album that they work out to, or that they run to or drive, you know, in, at night to, I don't know. Everybody has like a, a reference when they think about a record. For me, it's the making of it and the making of the first one. Yeah, it was bizarre and surreal and like trying in like a, a sustenance kind of way. But I mean, shit, we were 17 and 19. We didn't give a shit. Like <laughs> we just wanted to make a record. Like now I would I'd be more concerned about, all right, where's the coffee? What are we eating tonight? Like all yeah. the all the other yeah. things. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, the first, the first, you know, making that first record was an experience and it was all about making the record. Um, second one too, it was just quicker. The second one was quicker because the producer had a great team, a great engineer. It was really streamlined. We got a lot done in a short amount of time. Third one was, like I said, a, a nine month experience, yeah. but we, you know, got it. We got a band house and we all lived there and we just lived and breathed the experience of making that album. Same with the fourth one. We all got a band house. And I think about, it was about that time that we all started to turn 30. We were like, yeah, like <laughs> we're like four dudes in their thirties. We can't be like living in a glorified frat house anymore and doing this. So <laughs> that might be why the, 
another reason why the releases kind of shifted and became more like sparse and more singles and like quick, quick little bursts, not like this, like, okay, I'm going to put my entire life on hold and live in a frat house for a year and make this album. That's, that's the only way we really know how to like, uh, it'd, it'd be an interesting experiment to do it any other way. Really? Yeah, no, I fear. I think it's fair because actually, so recently we had a. Um, I think he's like the drummer of Walk Off the Earth on this like podcast. Oh yeah, and, and he mentioned like similar things. Of he's like, when you're young and you're first starting off, everything is an adventure. Everything's great. Like you know, like oh yeah, it's like when we come up with tour dates. Yeah, we can go to like this place for like three months at a time. But then it's like when you right. get older, you get more responsibilities. So you get you have kids. It's almost like let's select a few dates here. Let's see how we're doing. And then like, right. we can always come back and say, Hey, here's some more dates that we're going, but it breaks in between. I understand that now, but like, I mean, as a kid, if I wanted to go watch like the all American rejects or Backstreet boys or whatever, and it's like not coming to Newfoundland, I'm just still like, so you're telling me I have to go to Toronto to go see one of my favorite bands. And it's like, yeah, because they're going to do a hit of Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal. That's how this goes. And I'd be like, well, yep. while they're doing that, why don't they just do Halifax and Newfoundland? Be like, number one, they probably could do <laughs> Halifax, New Brunswick, Newfoundland. You're on your own island, getting equipment, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I can't wait to watch the All American Rejects when like they're 80, and then they're basically like, all right, we need the money now. And I'd be like, I will give you my money. You are finally coming. Because <laughs> that's how yeah, it that's works. Be here. Right. I I grew up in Oklahoma, and it's yes, it's landlocked. It's not an island, yeah. I guess, but. Nobody ever came through Oklahoma. Like only recently did they get a professional sports team with an, like an arena that accompanied that. So there really wasn't many places to just go see shows. I always had to go like down to Dallas or up to Kansas city. And that was like at least five hours away. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of get it. Yours is probably way more extreme, <laughs> but the, yeah, Gro- growing up where somewhere where nobody ever comes if, if somebody tells me they've been to Oklahoma, they're like, I think I drove through there once. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's probably, yeah, that's probably it. I, I want to ask you too, cause I know like, again, we're going to go like all over the place. So it's not even like in chronological order, but uh, if I have it, if I have it here on my notes, I know that they're having like this thing in October, an October kind of fest uh, mm-hmm. when we were young fest. Now yeah. to me, I'm, I'm not one to get like easily offended or like uh, what's the word like triggered, but reading that title when we were young and then seeing the bands, I'm like, are you saying that me is 30, like me is 30, that I am now considered old because I don't feel old. And these bands, I don't even think are that old, like Paramore, Avril Lavigne, All American Rejects. Like, I get it. You mentioned that to like a 17 year old today. They're like, yeah, I know who Avril Lavigne is because she has songs out or whatever. I've heard of Paramore because of Olivia Rodrigo, but I'm looking at these and I'm like, I don't consider that old. Like, rename the festival. (laughs) Age is a construct, man. I think as time goes on, you know, like I just turned 40 and I feel like 40 is the new 30. And when I turned 30, so 30 looking back on 20. No, exactly. No. <laughs> like I, w- I was, I was still fucking up and making mistakes at 30. Like it, it is the new 20. I didn't think about that because I'm like, okay. I mean, 
in theory, no, I'm not young anymore. So yeah, when we were young, I get it. Like yeah. I didn't think twice about it, but yeah, yeah, I see. I can see why you were triggered. That's oh no, no, like, I, I get it for like the nost- uh, like if even if they called it like the nostalgia tour or something, I'd be like, all oh, right, because that's what uh, like people in their 30s and late 20s are kind of like. Oh, it's like yesterday I was listening to the iHeart 90s radio or high two thousands, and I heard this band, and that would bring back the nostalgia. I'm like, that makes sense to call it that. But when you're like, when we were young, I'm yeah. like. Hold on a second. When did, <laughs> what, what age? Like what age gap do you consider me old? But I was looking at it, and this is where I kind of come up with like the whole tour aspect, where they give you, I think it's like two nights, or I think it's like a two nights or two weekends in between. But it's all in Vegas, and I'm like, uh, hello. Like, can you? I, I understand that we're all in this case, they all have their own plans, and it's going to be hard to accommodate everybody. But like, couldn't you at least? phone toronto and say hey toronto <laughs> and i would have been like all right i understand I, i'd still go back to like the 10 year old or the 15 year old me and be like uh plane tickets to toronto but at least this one would be worth it because i'm seeing a number of different bands <laughs> i don't know i don't know what the thinking is with that i don't know yeah. much about the festival <laughs> i just know the line the lineup is insane and i found out about the lineup the same day that everybody else did which oh is wow kind of okay I mean, I knew I was playing it, but I did not know. Okay. Well, it'd be funny if you didn't know you were it. playing it. If you just be like, here's the yeah, lineup right. and you'd be like, uh, I'm there, but no one told me. <laughs> right. I'm sure that's happened before, but yeah. Uh, but no, I knew about this one. I just wasn't aware of the lineup. And yeah, I don't know what the thinking is with Vegas, but Vegas in October is probably kind of nice. Like it's probably cooling yeah. off a little bit. I feel like a lot of people are flying in for that festival. So it should, it should be fun. And we're doing a bunch of shows leading up to it. Not like a proper tour or anything, yeah. but everything kind of culminates at that at that festival in october it'll, it'll be a lot of fun yeah see now see nick you, you just wheeled yourself in a really bad situation because i'm gonna be like you're gonna do a few tour or a few dates before you go to uh do this festival um uh, newfoundland i don't think anybody i don't th- well you know what it's a two-way street man canada hasn't called me so. <laughs> all right that's fair i will call canada <laughs> i won't call trudeau i will just call I'll- canada I'll look it up and see tell, who. Tell Canada. Yeah. Tell Jim Carrey to call me. Man, if I could get Jim Carrey, I'd phone Jim and be like, Jim, I've got a number of questions. My first one is, can you get all American rejects in Canada? I'd be like, really? That's your first question ever? Not like, <laughs> how did the Grinch costume work? I'd be like, no, that was number two. Number two on my list is like, how your... much green fur did you have stuffed in your mouth while filming that? And he'd be like, that wasn't your first. Did you one. know? Did you know that they? Um, he underwent the same kind of therapy that like torture victims prisoners of war went through just because of how long he had to sit to get that makeup on it was like it was like 14 hours or something just to get the make like something insane don't quote me on it no 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 like i've i've a lot of fucking hours i've I've definitely seen clips and i like that sometimes social media brings this up where it's like you see random clips of things where you never thought in your life mm-hmm. and then you're like okay cool but like yeah i've seen clips and i listen that's a committed actor right there but if someone came to me yeah. and i'm already jim carrey at its peak i've done films i'm doing great i would be like i'd be like no can we find something else to do but that he was probably yeah. super committed and i'm like good because if they asked brian tobin the aka actor if i was that famous i'd be like can i just play like someone in the background like you know like yeah. just can you can you just like paint paint it on like <laughs> yeah. in post? I wonder like if he's looking at like the Grinch movies now, where it's like I think like um, there's other like cartoon and animated ones that have come out mm-hmm. since. I wonder if he's like furious now, where it's like, 
why couldn't you just do that for me? I could have just been the voiceover. This would have been so much simpler, but I would have been yeah, like, but looking, looking yeah. at the plethora of Grinch movies. I mean, his is clearly the best. Like, I think oh, yeah. we can all agree on that. Yeah. Hands down. <laughs> I know I have like nieces and nephews that like the cartoon one from way back when, and then there's ones that like, the, I guess it's like the 2019 or 2020 version, whatever one that came out with. But I'm like, if it's not Jim Carrey, it's no, I don't care. Oh, yeah. CB, CBC could be like, we're going to show you the Grinch before Christmas. And I'm like, is it the Jim Carrey version? They'd be like, no, I'd be like, all right, back to playing NHL. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the Jim Carrey version, I'd be like, all right, NHL, you take a hold. Madden, you take right. a hold. I am 30, yep. but I'm still going to be committed to watch this. Goddamn right. Yeah, yeah. every yeah. year. It's interesting to me because, you know, there are bands, they have their peak. They kind of go away for a bit, then they come back. I've mentioned this to other bands as well, is there is a time period where you kind of grow out of a phase. Like, I remember listening to All American Rejects, Simple Plan, All Time Low, and like just being so heavily invested. And then all of a sudden oh, yeah. you kind of get a little bit older and like, yes, those are your memories. You will go back and listen to it, but you shift. But then when it came out mm-hmm. with Give Me Hell, uh, or yeah, I, I was listening to that one. And I seen it on the Much Music Countdown up here. And I was like, all right, I'm 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 invested again. I'm back. But <laughs> at the same point, I'm just like, okay, and then what? Because it was just like, all right, they're still coming out with music, but I don't see it as much. Like, did that kind of frustrate right. you in a way where it was like, all right, we've got these songs. Of course, and now yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because we put a lot into the the follow-up album after give, after the record that had Gives You Hell on it, a record called Kids in the Street. We put a lot into that, like probably probably the most just because at that point we, you know, like I said, we were all turning 30 yet we relocated ourselves and lived in a band house and, yeah. you know, in Santa Monica, California and lived and breathed making that record. So when it doesn't perform up to your expectations or you feel like people aren't showing up the same way that you did. Yeah. It's frustrating and it's disheartening, um, especially after putting two years of work into it. You know, I, I think it also kind of coincided with us getting to the point where we'd been doing it for 15 years. We were getting a little older. We didn't all have just this one common goal anymore. We had some other interests. Tyson's been acting. I've been working with a lot of other artists and being in the studio more because that's always been my favorite part of the process. And just, you know, diversifying. So I, I think I think that was necessary. I think if it kept on going up and up and up and up and up, yeah. I, I don't know where where we'd be now, maybe we'd be worse off. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I don't, I'm not mad about it now. <laughs> I was mad no, about that, it then, but no. I'm not really mad about it now. No, I mean, that's fair. Cause I, I just bring it up just because like, as I wasn't like to try to like make it sound sour or pinpoint or anything. It's just like, sometimes you see bands that have like, like a one hit wonder or they got successful. And I just love having the conversation with them if you have the time and then because they they all have a different approach to it like i remember reading and i think there's a video clip of edmund mccain i think it's edmund mccain or uh, that edmund has mccain yeah yeah and like is he, I the, love, is he the is he i'll be is that is that him yes and that's like okay. that's a yeah. go-to 90s song like i will argue that oh, yeah. if you're going to come up with like a 90s hit list of like it, like if you were to go back in a time machine you got to like this is how you can relate to the nineties. Here's songs that you listen to. He still plays here in Nashville. I think yeah. I see his name come up every now and then he's still, but, he's still cranking them out. 
But I love that when someone had asked him about it, he was like, why would I be mad? Like, yeah, it's a one hit wonder or whatever. He's like, do you know how much that song made me famous? Do you know how much that paid for for me? And I'm like, I like that he's not like bitter about it. He's more or less like, dude, sure. I, do you know how many times I've written songs or something? And they're like, nothing. I've got one out of so many songs. Like, that's great for me. But then there's other artists where it's like, ah, the label, the label fucked it up for me and I don't like it. And I'm sick and tired of hearing myself as a one hit wonder. I'm like, I, I get that too. But there's a part of me where it's like, if I'm going to talk to someone, I think I like the Edwin approach totally. where it's like, he's happy and like fans are still like, it feels like the approach where if I walked up to him tomorrow and be like, I really love that song. He'd be like, well, thank you. Where if I, if I went up to the artist who did not like, the one hit wonder i'd be like really love that song. oh go bite a leg or go fuck yourself i'd be like i bought it what is what is the first thing you said buy go a bite, leg go bite a leg i don't know it just came out of my mouth i'm just like that would be me because i'm so furious where is i don't i don't know my words i'd be like go bite a leg gotcha and they'd be like do you mean like go bite like go bite yourself or fuck off or something and i'd be like no go bite a leg no i'm so furious and flustered at you that these are words right. <laughs> that's a good point i mean you know even though we've had some albums that are less successful we were afforded to be able to make them because of yeah. the ones that came before that were successful so that's a, that's a really nice way to look at it i like that when you have fans that come up to you and like tell you like their favorite song or favorite album like do they then follow it up with like so like what are you guys doing now does that like piss you off then where it's just a, like dude like i'm okay I mean, of course, of course, after you, you get to be successful at something, you want to continue either the success or being noticed for the success. I never really cared about that. I cared about that in my twenties, like yeah. when everybody cares about attention. So of course you want to be like, I, I want to be like, I mean, yeah, I'm still working on music. Like that's my yeah. job. Like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not working at McDonald's. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's not like we're um, seeing a, it's not like we're seeing like a, where are they now feature where it's like Nick Wheeler, whatever happened to Nick Wheeler. It's like, and then they, like they right. drive, they drive into like, I don't know, like a McDonald's or a Tim Hortons here in Canada. And it's like, how do they go from Oklahoma to Canada? It's like, this is the only place that hired me now. I'm just like, Oh, that's right. tragedy. Like, but I will say if I did have to, you know, I don't have a college education. I barely have a high school education. So getting a real job would be very difficult for me. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. When you look back at the All-American Rejects, just your career in general, like what are some real highlights for you? Hmm. I mean, we've been so fortunate and there's been so many. A lot of them feel like it wasn't real or it feels like it, it, it was somebody else's life. And I'm like, we got to do this thing called the Rock Honors where we played a Def Leppard song for Def Leppard. And Queen was there, Kiss was there. It was insane. Like, it, we had no business being there, but we got to be there. And that, that, was, that was certainly a surreal experience. And I look back on that and I'm like, wait, what, did that happen? Or was that like some weird dream? Now just doing what I do and just being more like studio focused highlights for me was, you know, the people that we got to work with, you know, on a professional level, you know, when creating and making music, those are the things that I reference the most now and just remember the most and are just have the most like aha kind of like moments where things click. But I mean, we got to travel to some great places. We got to 
I just see stuff I never thought I'd get to see. I don't know. That's one of those things where there's just so much, it's just mush in there. Yeah. And one day somebody will say something and jog a memory and I'll have to like recount it, not to like brag or tell the story. It's like, Oh, I need to say this so that I remember it and remember that it's real and that it actually happened. And maybe that will buy me 15 more years of memory out of it. (laughs) Now you might not know this or whatever, but I think it was an interview uh, that I believe Tyson did. And he, he mentioned this. It was like, without all the politics that come into play when signed to a major, to a major label, like the process of like, you know, the label paying like 20, 40 stations to play music and whatnot. But I think it's interesting because that was a clip that I thought was interesting. But he also mentioned recently, like when someone asked him do the all American rejects, will they like play more music or create more music? And he was like, at this point, I don't think so. And I was like, all right, like I'm guessing you've had these discussions as a band, but I feel like there's fans that are probably out there like, how dare you Tyson? Can you just give us a little (laughs) bit of hope? In terms of, I want to ask you with the record label side and that, like when he's talking about the politics of that stuff, like now maybe you don't have a response. That's totally fine. But like, did you find that when you were with the record label, like sometimes they would be telling you, how about we release this song or can you keep, can you keep grinding? We want more tunes. As we got older, we kind of started to realize some of, you know, some of the politics and just some of the business that went behind, uh, behind it. When we first started, we were, we were kids. It was almost yeah. like, we weren't aware or we didn't notice. It's kind of like, you know, if you're a kid and you're and your parents aren't like telling you that like one of them lost their job or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the record label is not going to tell us every bit of business and politics that's going on. They're just going to try to either guide us or just make the decision, you know, on their own, whatever. But as we got older, yeah, it's, it be, you know, and we also, we also got a little more, influence i guess as to what you know what this next single should be or whatever we weren't always right i remember we wanted to release move along first um but jimmy Iovine was set on it has to be drill secret and we we thought move along was the better song so why not release it first but he had a game plan and he was fucking right we wanted to release um, a song called wind blows after gives you hell it was a ballad like the label wanted to do something different. But at that point we had influence who were like, Nope, release the ballad. Terrible idea. But you know, then, you know, then later you kind of start to, I don't know, like, like I said, I don't, (laughs) anything having to do with like paying radio stations and like that. Like I don't, I wasn't aware of any of that going on. I've, I've, I've heard stories, but like, yeah, they, they wouldn't, the artist wouldn't be involved in that. And they wouldn't tell the artist if that was, Ever yeah. thing. I mean, it took it took Durlo Secret six months to get traction at radio. <laughs> they weren't paying off anybody for that. That's a long yeah, yeah. fucking time. That's yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's um, interesting because like I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but when you were talking about how the artists wouldn't know that stuff, it was I think it was funny because they had like T Pain on a radio station. Now it could have been recently, could have been a few years ago, but he was talking about like the world of TikTok and social media, and he's like, at one point, you would literally have to have so much money or so much bank because you would then have to go to the like radio stations and be like, all right, I've got a new song out here. Here's money, push it to play. But now it's almost like someone can go on TikTok and like once that song becomes trending, then there's people that will phone radio stations if they still do that. But they'll be like, uh, how come right. you guys don't play this song? And they're like, okay, now we're getting this song requested. We need to find a way to put this on. Or the song just becomes so trendy that the radio stations are like, 
well, we want them to listen to our radio station, so we might as well start playing this song. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, things have to become like part of the zeitgeist or they have to become a meme first. Yeah. Um, almost like in order to, whether it's getting radio play or getting a record label to notice you, all, they want to know your social stats and they want to know, you know, how many followers you have on TikTok, et cetera. Like I can't it's, imagine it's, being an artist right now. Have you been on Instagram or socials recently where some things that are trendy, you're kind of like, how is that trendy? And then a really good interview right, right. where like, you know, a conversation just gets lost. I've gone on YouTube and like gone down to the rabbit hole and I'm like, man, this is a really good clip, but how come it has less views than this frog that sounds like he's barking? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that does not make sense. I feel bad for like the act that comes yeah. on. And it's like, I mean, yeah. same, same with same with music. There's some really great songs that nobody ever gets to hear. And there's some crap that we yeah. hear way too much, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's the way I, it goes. You, you yeah. just got to keep doing your thing and just make yourself happy that that's fair i feel like someone's going to take that out of context where they say make yourself happy and be like all right he told me to make myself happy like not like that he didn't not like that he didn't (laughs) that's gonna do it for this episode of tobin tonight our thanks to nick wheeler for coming on to the show remember you can find past present and future episodes on tobintonight.com spotify and itunes follow us on twitter like us on facebook and leave a comment or two For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy catch us on on the the dean Dean blundell network or on our youtube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because democracy democracy is something something you do do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.